was um, uh, a different podcast. You guys were talking about like how podcasts introduce themselves, culture, yeah, yeah. Um, and and knowledge fight, which they do. All they do is make fun of Alex Jones all the time. Uh, they start all of their episodes. I don't know where they we get should all probably their. Close that door. Yeah, probably. we should. I don't know where they get all their material. Who's this? The people who make fun of Alex Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel I feel bad for uh, Dan, who is the guy who does who, who he, he like the the way that their episodes always work is Dan has watched a bunch of Alex Jones. Oh no! And oh. and Jordan comes in cold. Uh, to yeah. each episode. Oh, like us. A little bit, yeah. It's a, a similar formula. I but thought we were innovators. No. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Adam Lax just rolled his fucking eyes at me. Well, like, oh, said- we're trying our real hardest to do a good podcast. Well, I mean, rolls his eyes. <laughs> Dr. History Moral Sage Scholar over here just flatly said, no, we, we're not being innovative. Like, it's, it's pretty similar to, to other things. It's good stuff. It's really getting to his head, huh? I like it. <laughs> I don't even know how I want to do it anymore. <laughs> you like broken a reality for me, and I just kind of left my family to do this with you assholes. <laughs> That's what you think of me. <laughs> We've all abandoned our families at one time. And we're in the another. we're in the dungeon. <laughs> oh yeah, I yeah, you're the, the you're the, you're the Actually, dom. You know what? You know you're what? The, I changed my mind. This show. I, yeah. <laughs> I forgot that fact for a minute. I changed my mind. I want to keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just uh, not bark. Kunin bark, 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 bark. Hard <laughs> <laughs> as a rock. <laughs> You're listening to Laughing Historically with Adam Lax, Adam Cooney, and Dr. History Scholar. All right, welcome to the Laughing Historically podcast. I'm your host, Adam Lax. On the ones and twos, we got Adam Cooney. And we got Dr. History Sage Scholar, Moral Protector of the Universe, Master of Pokemon. (laughs) <laughs> Did you play Pokemon? The Duke oh, of I Decency. Played... Oh, the Duke of Decency. The, pr- the Prince of Probity. <laughs> Probity. Yeah. Definitely looked up that word. I am a big fan of. I was a big fan of Pokemon. Really? I loved. Yes, Pokemon. I loved Pokemon as well. You both like Pokemon? Yeah. yeah. Couldn't do it. I had. Really? I had, I had yellow, blue, gold. You silver, could do gold. Dungeons and Dragons, but you can't, do, you Pokemon? can't do Pokemon. Yeah, because in, in Pokemon. It's basically just these natural creatures that mm-hmm. like exist yeah. in the yeah. world as a part of an ecosystem. You go yeah. steal them and have them fight each other like yeah. Michael fucking Vick. <laughs> <laughs> All yes. Right. yes. In the Dungeons yeah, and Dragons universe I grew up in, the things you kill, it's like, <laughs> and maybe it's problematic nowadays, but we'll see. They're, they're literally by like their very existence are evil. Right, like if you're fighting a red dragon, you're like, oh yeah, because it wants to murder humanity and steal all your gold and be a piece of shit. So like, you just murder it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but like, nobody in Pokemon dies; they just faint. No, they just keep yeah, you. That's true. In, Everybody does faint. Yeah, they I just keep you in that. fucking blackfish slavery. Like, <laughs> Pokemon is basically just Sea World in little Japanese capsules. <laughs> 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 you like lock them in there. Like like, a, now you, swim in you, circles I, I, until your fin gets droopy. Are you like, waiting for like a free willy moment in Pokemon? <laughs> you okay, you're gonna keep waiting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know how much money is there? <laughs> I'm 
trying to think of that fucking Michael Jackson song right now. I can only him. I don't know the song, the lyrics. That <laughs> <laughs> little fucking white kid with like yeah. whale sprinkles like, going <laughs> on his head. <laughs> I saw that theaters, man. That was. Did you cry? I was inspired by that moment. I remember as a kid. Pussy. (laughs) (laughs) Nine year old me was inspired. All right. It was all downhill from there. Shall we Uh, begin? (laughs) (laughs) We should begin. Yeah, let's let's do this day in history. So, last time, previously, we discussed the Stamp Act and the Townsend Acts and Mount Hordom and the fact that Captain Preston of the. Boston Massacre was an ancestor of Iron Maiden. Yeah, yeah. That was what we discussed last time. So now... Have you been to the Isle of Hordom? <laughs> so now... <laughs> Get up on your Hordom here! Part two. A tea party. What? Yeah. What? We're tea t- party? Yeah, we're going to talk about a tea party. Not that tea party. Don't roll your eyes, Mike. <laughs> it's a low tea party. <laughs> with, with a lowercase t and a lowercase p. Right? You know. Uh, no, that's not quite right. The smuggling. Yeah. So the Townsend Acts uh, were repealed, all except for the tax on tea. So you remember there was a whole slate of things mm, Townsend right. attacks. Tea stays in. They got rid of the, the, the lead? The, the yes. They got, they, New, New York rid- and New Jersey restraining acts. They got rid of that, too. <laughs> New York and New Jersey were like, did you hear there's going to be less lead? We better keep it around for a while. Every, hey, everybody, put lead in your house. Put it in your basement. Make sure your family's got lead for generations. Smear it all over the place. <laughs> Makes great paint. Now, yeah, have you heard of this new stuff called asbestos? <laughs> anyway. so It's an aphrodisiac. <laughs> I'm totally safe. My house is is fireproof. Um, I liked your accent. I was like Christopher Walken. Yeah. <laughs> My house. It's, it's fireproof. Bro. Hey, you say that again, I'll cut you in the face. <laughs> yeah, you had a terrible Walken. That was not a good Walken. No, I, I can't do voices. <laughs> so, if you're living in New Jersey... You gotta have lead in your basement. No, that was. I don't know what that was. I don't know what that was. I actually actually blacked out. Where was I for the last 30 seconds? So uh, they they didn't repeal the tax on tea because in 1772, the British East India Company, still facing bankruptcy from mismanagement, super low tea. A basic crisis, uh, a banking crisis in Europe. It was super basic. A famine, a famine in Bengal. Way low tea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they need. They needed a bailout, right? The, the East India Company needed a bailout. Wait. First of all, if I remember correctly, the famine in Bengal was caused specifically by the fact that they broke down the Indian farming like system because they had a communal farming so, system. So, where you needed more tea. So leaves. I. So I. 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 I, um, I looked this. I looked into this one. Um, it appears that like there might have been a famine anyway. Like there were there were environmental factors that led to poor crop yields. The <clears throat> fact that the British East India Company still insisted on not moving the levels of taxation on anyone mm-hmm. definitely didn't help. Well, is that kind of like uh, with the potato famine, where little, it's like but, there little, were environmental no, factors? No, no, if my memory serves. Mm-hmm. Listeners, if you comment, uh, <laughs> if my memory serves, uh, 
India, like communities that lived in regions near each other, had systems in place for when there were famines, right? Okay. So, like, you would call on your kind of like regional neighbors, right? Because yeah. a famine, a lot of times, it's like different geographies and different types of soil, different types mm -hmm. of plants grow different. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. oh, so the, you know, the people who grow this type of plant are going to do well in this famine situation versus this one. And they had these systems in place that, uh, I don't know, like a country, like a, a, I don't know, Hinduist country might want, like think is important to like essentially like support each other during these like yeah. times of To famine. prepare for... Yeah, for and I don't. I just don't think you can look at that oh, time period I, I mean, unadulterated. It, it, like, like because I, I, again, it, they might have just handled it, and mm -hmm. it wouldn't be in history. You know oh, what absolutely. I mean? Like, and that, I think that I don't. I'm not defending the East India Company. That's uh, good. It's, That's it, good. <laughs> it's, but it's different from like, for instance, the, the the Indian famine during the Second World War, where in, in the the famine that occurred, the Bengal famine that occurs during the Second World War. The British know what's going on, definitely understand what's going on, and just let it continue happening way. because they're at war. And they use the war as an excuse to, to not deal with the problem. Whereas, from what I was reading about this famine, the East India Company, we might be giving them a little too much credit. To say that they understood. So what the was going argument on. is that one of them was like on purpose, and yeah. the other one was negligent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm not saying cool. they're. I'm not saying they're good guys. I'm yeah. just saying that like this happens not infrequently with 18th century European colonialism, where something terrible happens, and the Europeans are super cool with it happening because it, it doesn't affect them poorly. <laughs> But to say that it was like premeditated would be to give them way too much credit right. in the planning department. No, no, no. So <laughs> I'm definitely not saying it was premeditated yeah. that it would work in mm. this way. What I'm saying is that when you go into a culture and you think you know yeah. better than them yeah. and you change all of their systems because you know fucking better. It's the same thing that happened in South Africa where the British showed up and they're like, there's not enough British trees here. <laughs> and they just started planting fucking British trees. And what do British trees like to do? Drink as much water all the time. Forever. You mean right? because they live in a place that rains? That rains. 300 years? Yeah, yeah. 300 days a year? <laughs> 365 days a year. It rains a little bit. <laughs> South Africa, not so not much. So, much. Yeah. Yeah. so uh, but back to this. The, the, the East India what? Company. The East what India happened? Company is on the verge of... Wait, are we doing a podcast? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Where are we? There. <laughs> <laughs> How old is Max? What year is it? I was just like... <laughs> yeah, did we have that early colonial thing where the guy falls asleep to dwarves playing bowling and then, you know, remember, he fell asleep for 30 years and then he wakes back up? Rip Van, Rip Van Winkle? Winkle? Yeah, yeah okay. are we having a Rip Van Winkle? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the East India Company needs a bailout. So to facilitate this, Parliament passed the Tea Act of 1773. So prior to this bill, tea bought in America had to first be sold in London. There, uh, there it was subjected to a tax, and then it had to be resold. So by the time it reached the colonies, the price had gone up considerably. <coughs> this had led to the widespread smuggling, mainly because the taxes and mercantilist policy on tea made the product hugely expensive. Mm -hmm. Americans consumed something along the lines of 1.5 million pounds of tea per year. Wow. In you know, last episode, last episode, you guys made fun of me for comparing tea to drugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, how, how much do they consume? 
Well, I mean, it's we. I would be really interested to see how much coffee we consume in a year. Yeah. Oh, America now. Co- yeah. Coffee got yeah. supplanted tea, you know. Yeah, because way. you know, because what the kind British. of tea? What kind of tea? I, I am. Ima- I have to imagine it's all Earl Grey. Just you know, but anyway, I don't know. I, I, I don't know enough about tea. So, of this one point five million pounds, only uh, f- only about five hundred and sixty thousand pounds of it were purchased legally. So, about a third of it was purchased legally, while another nine hundred thousand pounds were bought from smugglers. So Damn, about- you gotta love it when the black market outperforms the market. <laughs> market, uh, you know, you're doing good. So that the legal tea apparently tasted better, but the smuggled tea was cheaper and. By seventeen, that's just some rich people fucking said. It's like, oh, we've got the legal tea. Well, but apparently, like, apparently, num, this num. is the thing. But apparently, by seventeen seventy two, buying smuggled tea and consuming smuggled tea was like a political statement. Mm. Like, I'm not paying my taxes. Kind of statement. Uh, you consume smuggled tea to do that. Oh, I'm a smart tea consumer. Mm-hmm. I'm sm- oh, I'm smart because I'm. <laughs> right, okay. So the Tea Act. Uh, also gave so it, it removed the, a lot of the taxes on tea uh, from and it didn't require it to be sold through London. Uh, the Tea Act also gave the British East India Company a monopoly on the sale of tea to the American colonies. Mm. So not only did it not require it to go through London, anyone who was legally selling tea in America was now out of business. They had to do something else because only the East India Company could do this. Now, previously, like I the said, mon- they the, went by had monopoly meant they had all four railroads, <laughs> park place and boardwalk. Yes, and every time, all right. In 1772, yeah, the railroad. That they had boardwalks exist. back then. They, they had boardwalks. They didn't have railroads. Why not? <laughs> should ask so, actually, I'll do a quick little tangent on this uh, I've been doing this actually since college Dr. History Scholar doesn't like it when I just say things anachronistic the, things oh he hates it so much <laughs> like hey Dr. History Scholar quick question I want to know your opinion about something what's your opinion about the 1692 Dutch migration to Tibet I hate you <laughs> <laughs> he he's is, like viscerally upset about it. He's like shaking. This is actually one of the missions of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> to, to drive Dr. History Moral Sage Scholar insane. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but our history is accurate. One of the reasons I had to leave teaching, admittedly, it's one that I don't like to admit necessarily, but I'm the way students. too trollable. I'm way too trollable. Trollable? I'm, yeah, it's way too easy to troll me. I know you're winding me up when you do anachronistic things, and it bothers me anyway, and I know it, <laughs> and it shouldn't bother me, but I can't let but it, it go. it makes Kunin's day. And, so it may, and, and being trollable is not a, good, uh, uh, not a good thing to have as a teacher. Wait, real quick. Quick mm-hmm. question, because I think I can get to the bottom of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In middle school, were your friends nice? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh shit! All right, never mind. All right, I'm throwing <laughs> anyway, so um, <laughs> I will cut that out. What are we talking about? So it, today, so so the East India Company has its monopoly on tea to America. Mm-hmm. It further allowed the company to export tea directly to North America without having to go through London. So it reduced the tax on tea to three pence per pound. So the tax actually is lowered. Mm-hmm. than the previous tea act 
And so now Lord North, who is now the Prime Minister in his position as First Lord of the Treasury, and he will be Prime Minister until the end of the American Revolution. This is the guy, George III finds Lord North, and he's like, this is my dude, mainly because Lord North has no opinions of his own. And George III, he is an empty vessel. He's that a Lord, uh, he's George a III man. can just... George III is like, I have found a dude who will do exactly what I tell him to do. Um, and it does seem important for a king. Yeah. Especially, but he was a bad one, right? He was George, George III? Yeah. Is he the one who was, had bouts of craziness? Yeah, he had uh, porphyria. We, t- we talked about we this. Did. Yeah, He didn't have syphilis. That was a lie. He right. had porphyria, yeah, which is a mental one of illness. Our cor- it was our it only was a correction. correction. <laughs> uh, no, but George III, and this is another thing, is that George III, by 1770, this is a little bit of a tangent, by 1770-ish, um, Parliament had, uh, the king had almost no actual, like what you would call hard power left there wasn't really anything the king could do to they actually invented infl- viagra yet so. <laughs> <laughs> wait is that what we're talking about you, do you know how many children george the third had he didn't need that. oh okay fair enough fair really enough. yeah his wife was pregnant with like just just regular just with his wife yeah Oh. He was apparently very div- again. George the Third. There's a lot of things to not like about George the uh, Third, but his dick ain't one. No, <laughs> <laughs> this seems like indecent enough. Anyway, <laughs> we just insulted Doctor History's moral scholar. But anyway, I don't think we decent, had, no, no. decency. But, <laughs> okay, that we insulted. But, but George the but apparently by the 1770s, George uh, the the Georgian king, so George the Third and his uh, father and grandfather had essentially taken to bribing large portions of parliament. Um, that's how that was the, like the way that they actually got things done, and the reason why especially like the back benches of parliament would agree with the king because he was writing you a check. Hmm. Um, and cool. uh, I remember there's a quote, um, I'm going to butcher it by, mm-hmm. by someone, but it basically said like, if you ever want to be assured someone won't believe us something, mm-hmm. be sure to pay them to not believe it. Yeah. <laughs> right. It was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but the point being that like, by, and then the, the other thing is, is that uh, the British parliament hadn't redrawn their boundaries of their districts in like 400 years which meant that there were literally members of parliament who the total number of voters was six <laughs> right and so they it went was literally, like that the servants at that manor yeah. <laughs> these were called rotten boroughs yeah that's what I they were called term, and yeah. so you would literally just bribe the six voters you you cut them all a check and they'd vote for you, right? Yeah. And then there were other there were other members of yeah, parliament. But it was a very constrained voting system, right? Like, oh the, yeah, the number of people who could actually vote is very minimal. America had a had a the American colonies had a much um, more inclusive, yes, more inclusive, a wider franchise. Ah, than they, uh, you than, only need one acre of land as opposed to thirty five <laughs> and a penis and white skin. <laughs> well, those two things you still needed. <laughs> what, uh, the last two. Yeah, you yeah, still yeah. needed those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the you know, in in America, for instance, you didn't necessarily need to own land. You could just have property valued at a certain amount. Um, so if you just had like a box of gold or something yeah. like that, well, or if you own, <laughs> or, like one of the things, like if you owned a house, 
like oh, the, you didn't own the land yeah on it, or so or or even if you own the land that it's on like remember that townhouses don't sit on that much land mm-hmm. like well, yeah but that counts as land yeah but but the, very often the land requirement was like 20 acres oh i see so but if your house was valued at a certain amount of money then you were fine or your business like your your shop that you owned yeah. um your but, whore hill yeah, yeah. What your Mount, Hord- Mount Hordum. Mount Hordum. Once was a Mount, Mount Hord. <laughs> so, anyway. Back- Soundable Mount of Whores. But- <laughs> anyway, back to this. So the TX, so Lord North, as, as First Lord of the Treasury, Prime Minister, saw an opportunity. With a single bill, the East India Company could be saved. The Americans would be paying their taxes, smuggling would become unprofitable, and if the Americans accepted the tax on tea, the philosophical right to taxation would be confirmed. On May 10th, 1770... Wait, wait, wait. Explain that one more time. Like, like the the legal philosophical... Yeah, like, because, like... because the, even with this tax, the tea was cheaper. So the British were thinking that the Americans resisted taxation because it made everything more expensive. Mm-hmm. And this was like a trick. They were like, we're actually making everything cheaper, but by buying the cheap stuff, you're paying your taxes. Uh, and, that will, and that will, in the future, you'll be like, you paid that tax, why aren't you paying this tax? Mm. Right? So on May 10th, 1773, King George III gave his royal assent to the Tea Act. What could go wrong? A great deal. So, plot twist. <laughs> what can go wrong? You look so happy. You're like, so many things are going to go wrong. So <laughs> Waiting for the payoff, guys. In every colony aside from Massachusetts, groups of tax protesters were able to convince, read, intimidate, tea ships to not land and instead return to their point of origin without unloading. However, the royal governor of Massachusetts, Thomas Hutchinson, was determined that the tea should be unloaded, the tax paid, and order prevail. British law required a ship to pay any import duties within a certain number of days before offloading or have their cargo seized by customs officers. The T-ship Dartmouth arrived in Boston on November 28, 1773. Under the law, its deadline was December 17th. By December 15th, two additional ships, Beaver and Eleanor, had arrived. Together, these ships contained 342 chests of tea weighing 92,000 pounds. Hutchinson, the government, and the tea merchants waited until the last possible moment to unload the tea. Okay. So, they're, like the mercantilist system requires that you pay your import duties within a certain amount of time. And I, I, I have to imagine that this is like a combination of giving the customs officers enough time to get to your ship, mm-hmm. if you're, especially if it's a busy port, and not waiting to the point where you're like, not doing whatever you're like to avoid the tax by like outlasting the customs officers sure, like sure. i have to imagine mm-hmm. that's the purpose I, I in the reading i did no one ever explained the the purpose for for the delay mm. um so i'm also I'm, i mean you would mm-hmm. have to have like sailors and stuff on staff so yeah. to speak so mm-hmm. like you're just paying them to do nothing i mean that's I mean? part of it I, and admittedly uh Merchant vessels don't have very large crews, hmm. by comparison. Like, uh, naval vessels... This is actually true up to the present day. Warships oh, yeah. always have much larger crews than than, than yeah, merchant vessels. one of the ships just has to go places. The yeah, that's true. Has ship to go. has to go places and blow shit up. And, and kill people yeah, at yeah, the same yeah, time. Yeah, 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 so. Um, so, yeah. So, on December 16th, 
the Boston Sons of Liberty, led by Samuel Adams, John Hancock, and Paul Revere, were supposed to hold a mass meeting at Faneuil Hall, uh, which was traditionally the meeting place in Boston. But when a crowd of somewhere between five and 7,000, out of Boston's total population of 16,000, arrived, they had to move it to the Old South Church, right? They physically couldn't accommodate the crowd at mm-hmm. the original meeting spot. Now, during this meeting, Bostonians were reminded that every other port along the coast, the tea had not been allowed to land. The taunt from New York and Philadelphia was, quote, will you shrink at Boston, end quote. Like, that is actually, that was... They a, got taunted by New York and, and Philadelphia. Philadelphia. yes. And it was in newspapers, will you shrink at Boston. Boston doesn't handle that. Well, you guys think they're better than us? They're looking down on us, everybody. They think they're better than us, all right? <laughs> Fuck New York. <laughs> Fuck Philly. the Yankees. Philly. <laughs> a bunch of hot dog fucking pieces of shit. All right. I, Wait, we frogs? love everyone in Philadelphia. We have a lot of fans there. We have a lot of fan there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I'm enjoying the singularizing of mm-hmm. whoever listens to us. Because it's about you. Yeah. Fan. Thank you. Fan. <laughs> you one fan out each, there. Hey. Each in podcast land. <laughs> individual one of you. <laughs> is our fan and we appreciate you very much we're speaking directly to you mm-hmm. worship us All right, so. <laughs> so the crowd the crowd voted to prevent the tea from being landed stored sold or consumed so the meeting votes to not let this happen at one point sam adams is supposed to have cried out quote this meeting can do nothing further to save the country end quote Many in the audience, taking him at his word, poured out from Old South Church and towards Griffin's Wharf, even as he tried to bring them back as the meeting was not, in fact, over. Like, it used to be that, that, that uh, like, older histories used to say that this quote was the signal for the Boston Tea Party, but, like, actual documents have Sam Adams running around trying to get people to come back because no, no, it was just a rhetorical that. flourish. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, try some of my beer, all right? We'll hang out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't understand. The beer comes at the end. <laughs> I've been starting this company. I think it could really be something. It's pretty tasty. <laughs> uh, especially, too, it's just, like, there's a little bit of that still Britishness of them they're like wait stop <laughs> the meeting isn't actually over <laughs> because we haven't gone clunk 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 with the little hammer <laughs> it's, that it's over no one's no one's made a motion <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you can't just leave with the meeting still not over what are you doing so as <laughs> So as a crowd of thousands watched, 30 to 60 men rode towards Dartmouth, Beaver, and Eleanor. With the words of John Hancock ringing in their ears, quote, let every man do what is right in his own eyes, end quote. Some of the men, wanting to both disguise their faces and to symbolize that they were Americans and not British, dressed themselves as Mohawk Raiders. Armed Interesting. With, armed with hatchets. Huh. Yeah. Uh, hmm? Like... I, I don't understand the like 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 the British people wouldn't know how to do it or something like like because couldn't British people just be like oh we're an agent provocateur and dress themselves weirdly like mm-hmm. that like yeah I mean it's a it's a pretty thin disguise it's mainly it's like, it, a, it's like it, a weird red face thing going it's on. a little bit it's that it's also like it's like any movie made in the 1950s with yeah. any ethnicity <laughs> that wasn't white yeah. just, do they tape. have tape on their yeah. eyes. <laughs> There's a lot of bronzer in here. (laughs) No, I mean, that's part of it. I mean, I think realistically, 
you have to remember that that communication between America and Britain isn't in- instantaneous. And I think there was like, even if there's a 10% chance that the British will think that this was somehow a Mohawk raid yeah. and they won't be mad at us for it, it's worth it. I think that's part of it. I think there's also definitely the, we don't want to be identified immediately as like mm. Bill Smith is the one who dumped the tea, yeah. right? And there's a little, so there's a little, there's a bunch of different things going on. Yeah, it's got on. a meme quality a little to bit, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like, oh, let's just all do this. Yeah. yeah. So armed with hatchets, the Raiders dumped all 92,000 pounds, valued at around 10,000 pounds sterling, wow. which would be millions of dollars at today's prices, of tea into the harbor. Now, there are, there are no stories of tea being stolen. Um, and, and one of the men in the raid is said to have seen a fellow trying to pocket some tea. Awful. Like they, they, they Makes broke sense. open a tea I'd... chest and he tried stealing some of it. And apparently they like made him empty his pockets and like get back in the boat and like, no, because they weren't there to steal. Like th- this is a principled act, right? Like we're not profiting from this was their argument. We're not profiting. We're, we're, we're making a statement. Right, don't, don't sully us. By just like trying to pad your by, pad your own pockets. There's also a story. It's like I just wanted some tea. Guys. Yeah. yeah there's some... also somebody told me I'd get tea. For this. <laughs> I'm here just for the free tea. Yeah. <laughs> there's, I'm not like hardcore in this whole thing against the protest. I thought there'd be tea. So. Uh, and there's also a story because nobody is hurt during the the tea party. Like there are no casualties. There is a story that the only casualty in air quotes was a lock that had to be broken mm. and that the sons of liberty came the next day to replace the lock on the ship I'm sure that's uh because they're like our, our beef is with the tea not with the ship mm-hmm. right like we're you know we didn't mean to break your lock so here's a new one i i don't know if that's true or not i've i've heard that one um what the sons of liberty kind of they were like the elites they were they weren't like they so, weren't like hard like you so, know so, they were salt of the earth read, they're like they but, but the thing is, is that so so one the thing with reading is that basically every american yeah, in the no, 1770s no. could read uh the average british soldier was illiterate the average continental soldier during the revolution could definitely read and write like levels of literacy in America were way higher than they were. It was in like Britain. a Puritan thing. Right? It was definitely yeah, a Puritan yeah. thing. So that's the first thing. The second thing is is that one of the things I find personally fascinating about the American Revolution is that because it is before the birth of like codified Marxism and capitalism, right? Like the Wealth of Nations is published in 1776, mm-hmm. right? So the revolution is before that, and you know. Das Kapital and and the Communist Manifesto are decades off. It is a revolution where controlling for socioeconomic status tells you nothing about what a person is believing in that war. There are wealthy people who are loyalists, and there are wealthy people who are patriots. Mm. There are poor people who are loyalists, and there are poor people who are patriots. And so controlling for socioeconomic status cannot tell you anything. Right, like you have, uh, for instance, there are absolutely patricians who fight on the side of the American colonies. Right, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, uh, you have yeah, them, yeah. but and you have Philip Schuyler from New York. These are all patriots, but then there are also loyalists. Uh, we don't tend to remember their names because they lost everything. I'm right, talking. like yeah, but I mean, but like there are, <laughs> but there are. There are there are loyalist landowners in upstate New York along the Hudson River whose tenants essentially rise up in rebellion. 
uh, and because their landlord is a loyalist, they get to take their land. They're no longer tenant farmers. They're now yeoman farmers. They like own the land they're on. But there are lo- that's pretty rad. It is. But then on the other side of that, you have patriot landowners in upstate New York along the Hudson River Valley whose tenants rise up in rebellion as loyalists to try to evict their landlord to become yeoman farmers who are put down mm. and remain tenant farmers because their landlord is a patriot. Right. And they happen to win the war. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, but so that's what I mean is like when but, we say that like the Sons of Liberty were part of the elite, some of them were. Like John Hancock is literally one of the wealthiest men in America. Sam Adams is like along the elite, but I wouldn't call him like a wealthy individual. And Paul yeah, Revere. The, there was a big mercantile like class was, within yeah. the revolution, right? Because yeah. you no, know, it would be like craftsmen yeah. and because yeah. like, artisans and yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. I mean, and it that, definitely unleashed like certain mm-hmm. egalitarian sentiments that asked, you know, yeah. certain parts of the Sons of Liberty were not on board for. Well, like, and it depends on, and it also depends on things like, for instance, one of the things that's really interesting is Sam Adams is considered one of the most radical members of the Sons of Liberty. And he talks a lot about, you know, he's willing to do anything to fight the British. And he comes down hard on Shays' rebellion. Yeah, he did. But the reason is really interesting. He goes, we, you know, Shays' rebellion is protesting taxes. So you'd think that Sam Adams, that Sam Adams, well, yeah, but you would think that Sam Adams would be on their side. And he goes, the reason, the difference is, he came pretty conservative after the war. But it's, but it's, why is he conservative is he goes, we get to vote for our government now. Mm-hmm. And again, it's... So it's, now it's it, seditious. Yeah. Right? Like, well, yeah. But, but, that's, but that's exactly the point. I think one of the things that's, that has been lost on both sides of our current political debate about the American Revolution is that we focus on the taxation part and not on the representation part. And we keep filtering our views of the revolution through our current debate over taxes rather than... The taxes weren't the part that they really hated. Yeah, they didn't like paying their taxes because nobody likes paying their taxes. I don't mind paying my taxes, but I also don't. I don't like paying my taxes. I also don't like eating broccoli, right? Like mm-hmm. I eat broccoli because I don't want to die of heart disease, and I pay taxes because we live in a civilized society. Wait a second, though. But the representation is the part that's important. Exactly. Yes. As a DC resident. Yeah, I know, and it makes. What, uh, dude. Throw, that, a, throw to, a little fucking tea yeah. in the, yeah. <laughs> in the that, National yeah. Harbor. Well, that's the thing. The first, time, the first time I saw a DC license plate that said taxation without representation, I thought it was just a vanity plate that was like someone being real salty about yeah, it. Just some and then I, but then I saw it on a police car in downtown DC and I nearly fell over laughing. We, we, we should push like, you know, jet planes into the water now. Like, yeah, you know. basically the same thing. Or lots of cocaine. This is a comedy podcast. Comedy, parody, parody, comedy. <laughs> satire, satire, comedy. So anyway, so the, the Boston Tea Party has ended. Uh-huh. Governor Hutchin... It was uh, very polite, apparently. They replaced the lock. They did. They're like, ah, we can't just take another white man's lock. We have to bring it back. So, what are we, barbarians? Yeah. So Governor Hutchinson was livid at this, quote, treason. Uh, but was powerless because uh, the militia was firmly on the side of the Sons of Liberty. Like, mm. he didn't have any enforcement mechanism. John Adams rejoiced at this, quote, exertion of popular power. He further stated, quote, This destruction of the tea is so bold, so daring, and so lasting that I cannot cons- but consider it an epoch in history. To let it be landed would be, to gi- would be 
giving up the principle of taxation by parliamentary authority against which the continent has struggled for 10 years, end quote. So he's like, the people did it, and it's impressive, and if we had let the tea be here, we would have given up the last 10 years of our struggle with Great Britain. King George, Lord North, and Parliament. I love how, like, yeah. maybe this is the right word, pedantic this mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It's definitely not like a, a just like, oh, like, your soldiers are shooting us or mm-hmm. like something direct like that. It's mm-hmm. a very, it is very principled and yeah. like it's very like kind of. And well, and it's one of the things, and we'll get to that in just a minute. I, and I think uh, you're always doing that. It's a foreshadower. But oh. King George, Lord North, and Parliament were not <laughs> amused. Oh. So part three, the coercive acts. So in parts one and two, we discussed Stamp Act, Townsend Act, Tea Act, Boston Tea Party. So now we're going to discuss the British response to the Boston Tea Party. So to this point in what is called the Imperial Crisis, this period from the Stamp Act to the American Revolution is often referred to as the Imperial Crisis. Uh, The British had shown what they felt to be remarkable restraint. At each point along the way, the Stamp Act protests, the Boston Massacre, the coordinated boycotts, Parliament felt that they had always stood down. Now the Americans had crossed a line. They had flagrantly destroyed property that was only one step removed from being parliaments, right? The British East India Company is almost a state-run business. So fucking landowner. Mm -hmm. It's so fucking... All right, god damn it, I'm trying to pick which accent to do. I'll go southern. So, any... Any attack upon one man's property is an attack upon that man's liberty. I think you can... That was what British Parliament was doing, basically. Essentially, You yeah. attacked our property, therefore you attacked us as people, mm-hmm. because we are... And our property. To- yeah, we yeah. are the sum total of our property and what we call ours. So it was now... Cool, t- guys. It, it, rad. Yeah. Rad. Gr- great way to look at life. <laughs> it was now time to remind the Americans to whom they owed allegiance. With the news of the Boston riot, and the British referred to the Tea Party as a riot, with the news of the Boston riot, Lord North introduced four acts of Parliament and ushered through a fifth that set the stage for war in North America. They're collectively known as the Coercive Acts. That's what the British called them. They called them the Coercive Acts. (laughs) The Americans referred to them as the Intolerable Acts. So the first of these acts is the most immediate response to the Tea Party. It is the Boston Port Bill. This bill closed the port of Boston to all trade until the city of Boston had paid the East India Company the value of the lost tea. The bill did not discriminate between those several dozen who had dumped the tea, nor the men who had inspired the crowd, nor the nearly a third of Boston who had watched, nor the two-thirds of Boston who'd stayed home. Nor did it consider the remainder of the colony, towns like Salem, Cambridge, Chelsea, and Gloucester, all depended on Boston as their gateway to the outside world. Nor did it consider the rest of New England, where farmers and merchants in Newport and Providence, Rhode Island, or New Haven and Hartford, Connecticut, who did great deals of business with Boston. The entire region, regardless of opinion, action, or loyalty, was to be punished. In order to enforce the closure of Boston Harbor, Massachusetts would have to be brought to heel. The second act was the Massachusetts Government Act, which revoked the colony's charter, thus removing its democratically elected assembly, and replaced it with a military governor. They got all confused at the meeting. <laughs> They're like, they replaced the chata. Uh, what are we going to eat? No, not a chata, a chata. <laughs> uh, is that a, come on, Lex. Is that a pretty good Boston accent, Joe? It's a chata, chata. Like, <laughs> what are we going to do without a chata? Is that Marky Marks? 
Yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess we're just gonna have to do a lot of sit ups. We're gonna have to do a lot of sit ups and pull ups and worry about what's gonna happen to our chata after. <laughs> Are you gonna write down the chata? Get to clap chata. chata. It's a clap chata <laughs> to look over the chata. <laughs> hey, put your chata on paper. You don't put chata on paper. You're put it in the bowl. bowl. Maybe in a bread bowl. These crazy limeys with the chatas. <laughs> So the man, the man who was so to be stupid. the man who was to be the military governor was Commander in Chief for North America, Major General Thomas Gage. At a stroke, Parliament had wiped out nearly 150 years of self-government in Massachusetts, and to enforce his rule as military governor, King George and Lord North gave General Gage four regiments of infantry and sent him to Boston. Once in Boston, Gage would need a place uh, to put his soldiers and to have legal protections for them. Thus, the Quartering Act and the Impartial Administration of Justice Acts were passed. So the I know the Quartering Act, the Impartial Administration, administration of God Justice. God damn, that sounds real 1984, you know what I mean? That was just well. like, oh, this is the definitely be fair to everyone wink wink <laughs> act. <laughs> so the Quartering Act allowed Gage to commandeer private property to house the nearly 4,000 soldiers he was bringing into the city. Hmm. Now this act only applied, and this act applied to every American colony, it did not only apply to Massachusetts. However, contrary to legend, it only applied to empty buildings. They wouldn't. The, the, oh, this, so they this weren't like drop it in, like, dude, uh, yeah. we need your place. Can yeah. you? Uh, no, it was make only it was it us? was apparently only vacant buildings that this quartering act applied to. But again, I, I just purely imagine this from a from a political standpoint. You're like, hey, we need to make sure the Americans like us. And in the past 10 years, America's elite... Like, like us? Yes, like, like <laughs> us. <laughs> yes, you send them one of those yeah. little choosing things. Do you like me? I will guess. With all those taxes, we still love you. All right? Well, yeah, we'll you, you send John Hancock a note. Do you like, like us? Check yes or no. Yes or no. We, we and, slipped and, you under the table a little handy. And, and, <laughs> and, <laughs> but here's your bill. After science class... Um, what, but, what, was, what was the king's name again? George the Third. George the Third. George the Third. Yeah, oh, okay. and his he's minister just standing Lord there. Where, he's got a Ouija board. <laughs> yeah. It's like, does he like me, Ouija? <laughs> but, wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> What's that dating game where they had the phone uh, in the middle? No. It's like, does Chad like me? And you get answer <laughs> on the phone. <laughs> does Britain still like me? But uh, yeah. Meanwhile, the Lord Governor was like, why are we playing these games? <laughs> but Lax, but Lax, to your point, I mean, think about in, in the last decade, mo- the elites of the United States, the wealthiest people had been leading a lot of these protests. So who's going to own the most empty buildings? Mm. Rich people. Mm. This act is guaranteed to make them hate. Oh, no wonder they didn't like it. Oh. So the impartial. Admi- we haven't been able to exploit anyone for rent yet. <laughs> the British Get just soldiers out there. The red coats don't pay rent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the impartial administration of who justice- else can we tell we're gonna get on that <laughs> any day now? <laughs> we're gonna have that fixed for you. <laughs> Should have right. just slip them a twenty. So the impartial. Have you ever given a landlord a bribe? <laughs> no. 
All right, you have that look to you. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, was that an anti-Semitic remark? <laughs> that was no, only if you're taking it, Brian. No, it was an anti-greaseball with a mustache <laughs> remark. The fact that you're Semitic is It's just a coincidence, guys. He's not a greaseball. He's actually a tall, very attractive man. But he's engaged, so get off! <laughs> so the Impartial Administration of Justice Act was nicknamed by George Washington, quote, the Murder Act. This act... Murder, murder, murder. This act... Like, wow, wow, what do you think he meant by that? This (laughs) act allowed British officials uh, charged with crimes in America to receive their trials in other colonies or in Great Britain. Shit. This was needed, Lord North explained, because British soldiers would never get a fair trial in Boston. Apparently... Parliament had forgotten that after the Boston Massacre, no British officer was found responsible for the deaths, and only two private soldiers were found guilty of manslaughter, not murder. The only real effect of this act was to ensure that any further crimes committed by British soldiers or officials would never have an outcome aside from not guilty. So now, for those of you counting at home, you'll notice that I've mentioned four acts. These were passed as a package by Parliament in the late spring of 1774. At the exact same time, the Quebec Act made its way through Parliament and was approved at around the same time. While Parliament did not intend it this way, it sent alarm bells ringing through the American colonies. So why did it do so? What is it? The Quebec Act. The Quebec Act. So uh, so why did it do this? There There are, in my opinion, two bad reasons and two good reasons this riled up the American colonies. The bad reasons were that the act officially recognized the legal rights of Catholics in the formerly French colony of Quebec. Okay, which, what are the bad reasons? <laughs> <laughs> so this enraged, this enraged the hardline anti-Catholic Protestants, especially in New England, where the conspiratorial nature of their Puritan heritage still ran strong. Well, at least that went away. Exactly. At least we don't have to deal with like uh, American religious Puritans like having conspiracy theories about various groups of people. Uh, Adam, yeah. do you have anything to add? <laughs> <laughs> so, the second bad reason is that the act extended the boundary of Quebec south and west into lands claimed by Virginia, Pennsylvania, New York, and Maryland. Oh, Those sons of this people. act made large sections of the western That's frontier. It's going to hurt their land speculation. Exactly. Off limits to American settlement, right? So it, it meant that there were lands that during the French, before the French and Indian War, American colon, uh, colonists had said, "That's the land we want to go to." The Quebec Act says no. And the French said no, and then and then the British said no. Yeah, right. So yeah. Um, now the good if reason- only there were other. People who could have said, hey, British, don't let them do that. That'd be cool if you didn't. Yeah. And they went, <laughs> they, just, they just did parliament to them. They were like, rabble, rabble, rabble. That was a lot of my childhood. So there were, there were two, <laughs> so those are the two bad reasons. Two good reasons are uh, the, the good reasons for being alarmed was the type of government that Quebec received. So Quebec was the first British colony to be organized in nearly a century. Britain hadn't made any new colonies since, like, Georgia is the youngest of the American colonies, and Georgia was created in, like, the 1710s. Okay. Okay. Now. Oh, full up on colonies. Uh, I think it's important... (laughs) 
when you go to the colony buffet, it's important to <laughs> walk it off for a couple of hundred years. You know, really let the colonies digest. Settle, so, so, you might say. Yeah, yeah, the, the, you drink some gin and get your, maybe a bit of pot. Mm-hmm. Pot? Isn't that yeah, something? Pot. That, pot? Mm-hmm. Drink a little pot and That's have your not. morning constitutional, which... <laughs> Doctor history scholar told me it was a walk. <laughs> That's when you take a walk. I thought it meant shit for a really long time. I was like, why is, why is, uh, I don't know, what was a good, uh, like, Salmon Chase talking about taking a shit every morning. <laughs> so, uh, now, so Quebec is the first British colony to be organized in nearly a century. So from the conquest of Canada, 1759 to 1760, until the Quebec Act in 1774, the colony had been under martial law. The British Army had been running it. Mm. The governor general, uh, the governor of Canada during this time was Major General Guy Carleton. So under Never the, trust a guy named Guy. Yeah. <laughs> now, under the Quebec Act, the colony would receive its transition to civilian government. This civilian government would have no elected assembly. It would be ruled by an autocratic governor general the first mm. of whom was the uniformed Guy Carleton. No <laughs> so the British created an authoritarian system of government for Canada that they yeah. said is not a military regime as they awarded the first governor general title to a serving British army officer. Named Guy. Named Guy. Mm-mm. So no, when... You can't have it. Like, s- like that, if you, that, if you... His name was Guy. He clearly ran... Like a shitty Hollywood studio that like dabbled in porn a little bit, you know what I mean? Like yeah, he's that like a kind lot of, of guy. Movies, guy yeah. is, yeah. You can't trust a guy named Guy. Don't even. He's basically Venetian. <laughs> <laughs> Number one name in Venice, Guy. Guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so when this autocratic approach to Quebec is taken alongside the suspension of Massachusetts colonial charter. Right, America. What are Americans to assume that the new government of Massachusetts will look like the government of Quebec? Mm-hmm. Um, is it any wonder why Americans in 1774 started arming themselves? Mm-hmm. The curtain would soon go up on large-scale fighting in oh, North America, boy. and that is that, the end. So we can go on to what did we learn? Yes. Oh, what, what, what did, did we, we learn? learn? Predictions what, last what, episode. Yeah. So the um, first of my lessons for this. Okay. Is wait, that, wait. What was the take first it away? Said? Uh, British are dumb. That was one. <laughs> British are dumb. Liberty is good. And, and, and don't tax America. Don't tax America. Okay, okay. So the first is, is that conflict is escalatory. That was my first lesson. Okay. Um, it requires much cooler heads. A lot less fun. I yeah. know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it requires a lot cooler heads uh, than either existed in Parliament or America to bring the temperature of a crisis down and that it is much easier to inflame it instead. Mm-hmm. That is that is something that as you read this, there are a lot of off-ramps, as it were, to Do the Do you American really think Revolution. it was avoidable? Yeah, I think... Now, I, admittedly, I think part of it is, is that um, the British never understood... Fundam- neither side fundamentally understood the other side when it came to their, their baseline reasoning. So the British go, we can tax you because we're English. Right, or because you're English. Yeah. Right, and the Americans go, you can't tax us because we're English, <laughs> and that is that is a. What are we? I, I, I'm trying to recreate that great uh, colonial accent. I'm gonna have to watch that fucking movie. What's it called? John the, Adams. The Patriot. 
No, God, <laughs> God no. John Adams. It's a mini series. HBO. It's really good. It's got Paul Giamatti as John Adams. Oh, fucking and not the Patriot. Yeah, so the Patriot had fucking Joker from uh, Heath Ledger. No, not, Heath, Ledger. Ledger. Heath, Heath Ledger. Ledger. Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger was good in that. Mel Gibson wasn't. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're Mel- not a Mel Gibson fan, are you? No. Why not? <laughs> There's, there's, how much time? How much time? I just want to hear your opinions about the Passion of the Christ. I've yeah. never seen the Passion of the Christ. I haven't. I haven't actually seen it. Time to open your heart to Jesus. Then, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> he rolled his eyes so hard. You think you know about opening your heart to Jesus? I know. <laughs> so true. the second, my second takeaway is that the American Revolution was justified. This is like a hobby horse of mine. Liberty good. Liberty, Liberty good. good. I got it. I got it. <laughs> pow, pow, pow. So while, while it is certainly true that colonial Americans did things that were either A, in bad taste, or B, clearly illegal... Um, the British response to any complaint made by the Americans was a ratcheting up of control rather than any attempted British understanding. British are dumb. That, that's they just d- basically British are dumb. They didn't <laughs> understand the first rule of Americans is WWF, motherfucker. Like, don't come down on them for having a good time and having pyrotechnics and being like, woo! Like, you know, no. You gotta lean in. If mm-hmm. the British had just been like, oh, quite right, this is quite a fun party. <laughs> they like, rock on, Brits, let's do this! <laughs> Woo! Monster trucks! <laughs> we'll make monster trains and then monster trucks. <laughs> In the monster carriages. <laughs> we, gotta those, we gotta get those horses from Britain. They got those monster horses. And. And the monster carriages. I like the sound of that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like rickety, rickety, rickety. <laughs> like they, they've got like three of those wheels. On each other. <laughs> or they're just That's super big. <laughs> <laughs> This Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> they got little gold little off of Mount Hordom. Yeah, Mount Hordom. And then did you Mount- see the queen get buried? <laughs> did you see the queen get buried in Gravedigger? <laughs> <laughs> Gravedigger, the greatest royal monster carriage that's ever existed. So, number three, the third takeaway yeah. is that the British point of view during the imperial crisis was entirely illusionary. So the British made two major assumptions, neither of which came to pass. The first was that if the Americans became independent, and the British ascribed independence to Americans long before Americans did. Like, when you read about the American Revolution, the British are saying that all of these protests in the 1760s and 1770s are a prelude to independence and at, at the same time, Americans are bending over backwards to say, we don't want to be independent. We just don't want you to tax us without our permission. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it takes a really long time for the Americans to reach the point the British have ascribed to them. But the British assume that American independence... We've seen this before, gentlemen. It happens every place we go. We try to bring them our rule. And they said, no! <laughs> they get mad. All right, anyway. So, but the British assumed... Uh, that that if America became independent, it would trigger a domino effect in their possessions, especially in Ireland, Canada, and the Caribbean. Okay, they assumed that if America became mm. independent, that it would infect these other places. Mm. And while Ireland will have a rebellion oh, in the 1790s, out. that rebellion is far more influenced by the French Revolution mm-hmm. than it is the American Revolution. Yeah. This, the Revolution of 1799 
is backed by Napoleon, uh, very cynically backed by Napoleon. Yeah. Napoleon has no intention of helping, but he wants to, you know, screw over the British. Yep. Um, and the second assumption is that without American tax revenue, the country would face financial ruin. Now, not only did the British spend huge sums of money fighting the war that they then lost, way more money fighting the war they then lost, they signed the Peace of Paris with America in 1783. They declare war on France in 1792 during the French Revolutionary Wars that will turn into the Napoleonic Wars after Napoleon comes to power. From 1792 to 1815, Britain would only be at peace twice, once in 1802 and once in 1814, and in both instances for less than 12 months. The wars with France in this period were of an order of magnitude more expensive than their 18th century wars, and yet Britain emerged from the Napoleonic Wars as the world's premier power, a position they would hold until the First World War. How did they make the money? Yeah, India? that's what I want to know. Basically, well, is if it that, just it's debt financing? It's, so it's partially that, it's partially that their empire expands, right? It During the Napoleonic Wars, the 1790s is when they'll sort of uh, begin the process of finishing the conquest of India. Like mm -hmm. uh, the Duke of Wellington, uh, when he's not the Duke of Wellington, he's still just Arthur Wellesley, fights a, a, a major battle in India in the 1790s. Oh, then um, it begins, the and, plundering of India. Yeah, but that does matter. There's also the fact that uh, the British will during the Napoleonic Wars, sort of put to rest the idea that any of their colonial possessions are threatened. Mm. Um, like, part of the reason the American Revolution goes the way it does is that uh, when France declares war in Britain, the British have to remove... Uh, the British put about thirty to 35,000 men in America by the end of 1777. When the French declare war on, the, on Britain, like... Somewhere between ten and 20,000 of those soldiers have to be withdrawn from America to be sent to places like the Caribbean or to Gibraltar or back to Britain itself to defend those places against possible French attacks. Um, with the end of the Napoleonic Wars, the British feel very secure in their colonial possessions in a way that they'd never felt before. There's also the fact that... Uh, the Good for them. I know. <laughs> There's also the fact that what you were talking about with debt financing is that the British come to a much more like quote unquote modern understanding of if you're a state, how much money can you borrow? Right? Like, and that debt for governments is not the same as debt for people. And the government of the, the British government of the 1760s, 1770s had very much the idea of debt for people and debt for governments are the same thing. And by 1815, the British government is like, well, the debt for the British government is very different than the debt for the average person. Literally <laughs> functions on a completely different level. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 there is a limit still. Right. Just that limit is way Higher. different. Um, and They call and, it the Biden limit. <laughs> no, no, they don't. All right. For our conservative listener... Uh, <laughs> We have two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one liberal, one conservative. Yeah. Well, three. I just gained one. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Brandon. Um, hmm? I take that. I'm dark Brandon. Not oh, you're dark Brandon. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so we go. learned uh, liberty's good. Mm -hmm. I was right. British stupid. British stupid. Yeah. Lax was right. Yeah. And conflict is escalatory. Yeah. Neither yeah. of us were right about yeah. that one. Yeah. No, neither of you got that one. 
Tax bitches get money. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they're American. <laughs> well, you know. They got 50 pounds out of it. <laughs> 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 it wasn't a complete loss. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that's our show. I'm, uh, we are Laughing Historically. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, la- at Laughing Hist, H-I-S-T. Follow us, uh, leave a comment, review. Ask Dr. S- History Sage Scholar a question. He, he About re- morality. He about- likes those ones the most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, you know, very personal questions. Yeah, what, yeah. What, uh, <laughs> ask personal questions <laughs> even better. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, uh, you know, we, we love to hear from you. And, uh, yeah, that's our show. That's our show. 